Welcome to the Young Mentor series. Today, in episode two, I have the pleasure of speaking with Senna Weiser. Senna is a 16-year-old climate justice activist who has been fighting for the environment since she was five years old. She is currently the co-director of Sunrise Connecticut and is going into her junior year at Yukon University studying environmental studies. She is also a member of the Governor's Climate Action Plan equity and environmental justice working group she lives in stores in connecticut with her family senna welcome to the young mentors series thank you so much i'm excited to be here oh it's great to have you now first of all tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me a little bit about sunrise connecticut yeah so um you know i've i've lived in connecticut for my whole life i live on a farm um grew up on a small farm in mansfield and now I uh, am a student at the University of Connecticut after going for a couple of years at uh, Manchester Community College. And a couple of years ago, I started co-directing Sunrise Connecticut. So Sunrise is a national organization, which was founded about three or four years ago, four years in 2021. And Sunrise's focus is really uh, stopping climate change and creating millions of good jobs, or at least that's our mission statement. And so we really focus on building up an organization of young people across the nation. And so the way that we do that is by having hubs in all these different towns and cities. And so the one that I co-direct is Sunrise Connecticut, and we really focus on statewide politics and policy and just bringing young people from Connecticut together to focus on climate action. That's amazing. So there are these hubs all over the country. It's not just Connecticut. They're in all of the states, are they? Yes, I believe that there are about 350 hubs now. I think it might be a little bit higher than that. Um, in Connecticut, I think we have around eight. Um, and some of the really active ones are like Sunrise New Haven, Sunrise Middletown, and they focus more on like their local community or Sunrise Yukon, which focuses on the university. Gotcha. Now tell me about some of the projects that Sunrise has undertaken. Yeah, so in the past, well, before COVID, I'll, I'll start there. We planned a couple climate strikes at the Capitol in Hartford. And so our first one was on September 20th, and that was um, with a coalition of organizations called the Connecticut Climate Crisis Mobilization. And it had over 90 organizations in it, and we helped prepare and, and lead that event that happened in September. And we had over 1,500 people at the Capitol, so it was really incredible. And then we organized another one in December, uh, December 6, 2019. But that one was really solely Sunrise Connecticut. We were organizing, and then we did have support from other organizations as well. And so those were a couple of events. And then in 2020, we held a youth lobby day at the beginning of 2020, right in February, I think. And that was an in-person event that we held at the Capitol. But since COVID has started, obviously everything's been virtual pretty much. And so during the beginning of the summer, we were really focusing on supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and then carrying that over obviously into the rest of our work. Fantastic. And how has that virtual work looked? What shape has um, it taken? It's a little difficult and definitely I prefer in person, but you know, it's something we're just adapting to. So we'll hold meetings online. We use our social media a lot and, you know, it's kind of just doing the best we can and just getting through it, you know, day by day and week by week. Sounds like the story of the world at the moment, quite frankly, in a pandemic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Okay, so tell me, when did you first start to acknowledge that you, you kind of had a passion for this and what exactly does being a climate justice activist mean to you? Okay, so, uh, you know, for me, it started when I was young, when I was five with the environment in general. And, um, 
you know, and, and I, I worked on those issues for a while. I was passionate about them. I was specifically working on whale issues in the ocean. And then when I was 14, I read about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report. And I was very alarmed by that, um, specifically by, by saying that we had about 12 years, now 10 or nine in 2021, uh, to really prevent the worst consequences of the climate crisis. And so I was shocked and I was scared and I didn't know what to do next. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of was like, okay, I got to do something. And so I started getting involved with Sunrise Connecticut. So tell me, I love the title. What does being a climate justice oh, yes. activist mean to you? So uh, to me, being a climate justice activist means that, you, you know, you work on climate change, obviously you work on environmental issues, but you also really center that work in intersectionality and in environmental justice. And so for a little bit of background on those two words, so intersectionality, which is a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, and she was really talking about the ways that oppression overlaps. So as a black woman, she was talking about how her oppression is different from, let's say, a white woman. And so that's kind of one lens that I think is really important to bring to your work as a climate justice activist. And then environmental justice is very similar and, and very much kind of rooted in intersectionality as well, but just talking about how environmental issues affect different people differently. So they affect low income people, black and brown communities more than let's say a wealthier white community. And so those are kind of two things I really think are important if you're focusing on the climate justice part of climate change. Amazing. I'm absolutely in awe of you and we've only been talking for a few minutes. Now I'm curious, okay, so you've got such a passion for environmental issues and, and it kind of came about at such a young age. Now yeah. you mentioned the whales and the climate countdown, if you liked, but did <laughs> yeah. your parents have a role in your early interest? I mean, you've been at this since you were five. <laughs> so yeah. talk to me about that. How did it first happen? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, the story that I tell, and, and that is very much accurate, is when I was five, my mom got me a book, uh, just like secondhand book. She just, you know, picked it up, brought it home and read it to my sister and I, and it was about a whale named Ibis. And in the story, Ibis got caught in a fishing net, but she was really lucky and she got rescued. And at five, I love that story. So I asked my parents to read me the author's note and the author's note said that most whales don't get freed, they die. And I was really upset by that. So I started crying and whining and I did that for like three days until my dad couldn't take it. And so he was like, well, if you don't like something, then do something about it. And so that was how it started. And so in, in that sense, I mean, my mom got the book, my dad told me to go do something about it. So yeah, they definitely, Good man. What a great <laughs> team. But then the rest of it, essentially, it has come from you. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, especially as like a young activist, a lot of times, you know, people will sometimes be like, oh, it must be your parents. Like they're pushing it. But that's definitely not the case. Like this is something that I'm passionate about. They didn't know anything about whales. And I mean, they knew about climate change, but <laughs> not the way that they know about it now or not the way that I know about it now. Absolutely. They must be incredibly proud of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I certainly hope so. What skills or, or attributes have best helped you educate others? Because that's what you do, you know, and right. how do you best deliver those key messages? What, what are the attributes or skills that have best helped you educate your peers and, and other people? Yeah, for me, I think public speaking skills have uh, really helped. And so specifically like speeches or presentations, like I know most people find public speaking really nerve wracking, but for me, it's exciting. Like I like standing in front of people and talking about climate change or, or you know, other issues as well. Um, and so that has been really helpful. But then I also just think being really passionate and like truly caring 
and not just on superficial level, but, you know, really backing up your concerns, I guess, like having those concerns for real is really important and, and really helps to deliver that message in an effective way. So just being genuinely concerned and, and yes, yes. that's quite incredible. And, and to do it, I'm sure you hear it a lot, but to be able to stand in front of hundreds and potentially thousands <laughs> of people and deliver speeches, at quite a young age is quite an it's quite a skill it truly is quite a skill have you had to practice have you taken any classes in public speaking or is it yeah. literally just gut passion well <laughs> no so like i said at the beginning i live on a farm and that was actually how i got started in public speaking when i was um young like nine years old i think or, or maybe eight uh, my sister and i would go with my dad and we would go do presentations to school kids who are right around our same age about farming and how we farm and why we farm and all of that and so that was like my first start in public speaking and when we did that we practiced so so much like we spend <laughs> hours <laughs> practicing and my dad would give us feedback and my mom too um, and I carried that over into my environmental work where I would present and I literally I kept some of them like I have pages of notes from my mom, my dad, my sister on what I could improve for my presentations. And so that was really helpful. And then I guess for me, like there's a difference between the presentation where I go into a classroom and I present for 20 minutes versus like a five minute like motivational speech. Yes. Um, and so that 20 minute presentation, you know, I'll run through it many times. And then my five minute motivational speech is a little bit different, but still, you know, just practicing it. So making sure that once I get up there, I'm not stuttering or, or nervous about like, what am I going to say next? And I'm really able to like make eye contact with people and not just look at my paper the whole time and deliver it properly. Amazing. I think when I was an early teen, should we say, or, or in my younger years, I think the yeah. most performing I ever did was in our living room, probably doing <laughs> dancing. I don't think I could have passionately delivered a climate speech, that's for sure. So credit to you, credit to you. Thank you. So you're at UConn now studying mm -hmm. environmental studies. How has this year been in full-time education considering the pandemic and, and what are the plans for the future? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. So I guess it's been like educationally, I think it's been fine. You know, my, my professors, most of them have been really good about moving it online and it's mostly worked out very well. It is a little hard because I like to interact with my teachers and I also like to interact with the other students and obviously we can't really do that anymore. So that's been a little bit difficult, but you know, overall I think it went pretty well. And in terms of the future, I guess I'm just, I'm waiting for COVID to be over so I can go back to school regular yep. um, and, and actually see people again. And then I'm also thinking about applying for grad school once my undergrad is over. And once you've uh, done grad school, well, what's the big plan for Senna? Um, well, I'm still figuring that out as well, but I'm thinking <laughs> probably like politics is something that I'm really passionate about because these, you know, issues are very much affected by, by politics and who's in power. Very much um, so. And then I'm also thinking about uh, like a NGO type of position where I could still work on these issues and work on them politically as well. I've got to say, I think you've probably got my vote, Senna. That's for sure. <laughs> What advice would you give somebody who wants to get more actively involved, maybe a young person or an old person who sees what's happening, doesn't necessarily know the science and the facts behind it, but really wants to do something and wants to get involved? What advice would you give to them? 
Yeah, so I think I would start by saying just educate yourself. So if there's maybe one aspect of the issue um, or of climate change that you're particularly interested in, just start with a Google search, you know, really simple. Google environmental justice, look it up, read more about it. And so I would always start there. And then from there, I would say look for an organization. Doesn't have to be Sunrise, can be any organization that really aligns with your goals and and with what you believe. You know, look at their mission statement, look at their principles, look at how they work and see what you think and, and if they align with your goals. And then from there, you know, I think that organization can really provide you support. It can provide you opportunities to get involved, to take action. And then from there, it's a lot easier to, you know, to continue on. And maybe you choose to leave that organization in, in a year or in six months, but it just gives you a starting point. And then, you know, I mean, personally, I would say get involved in politics, you know, write to your legislators, get to know them, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, it's all about making those connections, isn't it? And together, we are more powerful than singularly. So uh, (laughs) that's great advice. What would you say are the three most influential people in your life to date? I should say to date. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, I'm not... I don't know if I've got like three people who I'm like, wow, these people for sure. But I mean, definitely my family, of course, have been very influential. And my parents, even just from a practical standpoint, have driven me around to many events. And we have spent many, many hours in the car driving around. So (laughs) I get credit for that. Yeah, so there's that. But then in terms of, you know, people who I look up to or who really inspire me, I would definitely say Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, yep. because, you know, she's the youngest Congresswoman ever and, mm-hmm. and is a huge champion for the Green New Deal and also for just social justice overall. And so I, I really look up to her. But also, you know, Michelle Obama, I really look up to the way that she was able to tell her story and connect with so many people in America, but also around the world. And I found that really powerful. Yeah, very much so. Interesting. Uh, What would you say has been your biggest success to date? What are you most proud of? What's been a real success for you? I think it would either be um, the September 20th climate strike that I talked about or the Youth Lobby Day. And September 20th was really exciting because it was the, I mean, it was the biggest event I ever planned or helped plan. It was not just me by any means, but that was the first event that I was really involved in running. That was a big deal. And so that was really exciting. It was a lot of work and it took a little bit of a toll on my grades, but it it worked out. But then the lobby day was also really exciting for me because I'm really passionate about young people getting involved in politics. And that was a really big opportunity to bring high school students, especially directly to the Capitol and really give them an opportunity to speak with legislators. And so I, I found that event to be very exciting. It was also the last one that happened before COVID started, so. Okay, so with great successes come failures. I don't like the word failure. So what has been some of the most difficult things you've had to face and indeed overcome? Mm, Okay, I need to think. (laughs) Um, Something that kind of immediately comes to mind is just starting off because starting, at least for me, is always the hardest and kind of getting over that initial hurdle of getting involved is like really intimidating for me at least. And so making that first, you know, that first contact. And for me, that was going on a sunrise um, phone call. And then from there, getting more involved locally, like I have a hard time with that kind of thing. And and so those first couple steps were really um, challenging. And I was also just like really upset about climate change. And so really kind of stressed about that. And that definitely was not helping. So that was definitely difficult. And then, I mean, there have been events that I've, you know, helped plan that turned out like, you know, two or three people. 
And so that, you know, is not great, but it's definitely kind of a, a learning curve and just <laughs> finding out like what works and what doesn't and what do you need to do differently to get people there. Very much so. What do you think it was about connecting initially, if you like, with mm-hmm. like-minded people to make a difference that, that you struggled with? Because you speak so eloquently, you know your stuff. What do you think it was that initially when you were trying to reach out to to other people who are similarly mm-hmm. passionate about climate change that you felt uncomfortable about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, for me at least, it's intimidating to get involved. Like, once I'm involved, once I have the connections, I'm on the email list, it's easier for me to be like, oh, hey, like, I I could come to this event, I could help out, I could speak, whatever you need. But at first, it's really hard. And yeah, getting into those rooms, like, for me, I don't know why, I don't know why this is the case, but that, like, one-on-one being like, hey, I want to come to this event, that's a lot harder for me than going up and speaking to, you know, a couple hundred people. Like, I can do that, I'm not worried about it. But having to do that one-on-one conversation is a lot harder. I totally get it. I totally get it. So I'm a former radio presenter. So oh. the idea of sitting in the studio and talking to 30,000, 40,000 people every week, yeah. no problem. No problem. Yeah. One-on-one small talk. Wow. That I find yeah, right? <laughs> I get it. No. Last couple of questions for you, Senna, if I may. So when you're not busy trying to save the world, and indeed the whales, when you're not focused on your, your activism, what do you like to do to relax? Is there such a thing as an off switch for Senna? Um, that is an off switch I'm still working on on building because sometimes it seems like there isn't and that is definitely not healthy or helpful. But I mean, most of the time I really just try and spend some time with my friends, which is much more difficult during COVID, but you know, we'll, we'll still get together outside and socially distance and all of that. And then my sister and I, she's a couple years younger than me, but we spend a lot of time together, whether, you know, just like sitting around talking or, or watching something. And so that's been really good. And then I also love to read. I listen to podcasts and audiobooks, And so for me, that's a really nice way to kind of And now you're going to be able to listen to yourself. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. (laughs) Um, What do you like to watch on television? What television films or books have really inspired you recently? Yeah, so we don't actually have a TV, but we do, you know, we, we watch YouTube and we watch movies. My sister and I have been watching The Office, so we've really been enjoying that. (laughs) Hang on a second. The American or the British version? Um, I'm actually not sure. (laughs) But... We're watching one of the versions. Pay attention to the <laughs> accent and let me know. I'm curious okay, to okay, know. Actually, this no, is now a, that you said that, it must a, be American. Yeah, it, it must be. be. You, don't have a yeah. <laughs> you must check out the British one as well. Okay, I will. <laughs> Compare the two. So, yeah. Senna, I mean, the work you're doing is it's just incredible, you know, and you. your energy and enthusiasm just knows no bounds and uh, I'm really excited about your future would you come back and do a, a follow-up with us should we say next year and see what we've managed to achieve hopefully post the pandemic that sounds great <laughs> I'd absolutely love that how can listeners connect with you to carry on the conversation or get involved particularly with Sunrise how is the best way for them to connect with you yeah so with me or sunrise we have a bunch of social media so we're on instagram uh, my personal username is just at sana Weiser, which is s-e-n-a-w-a-z-e-r and the sunrise account is at sunrise connecticut we're also on facebook so you can check out sunrise connecticut there if you just type in sunrise movement connecticut we're the first page that pops up 
And then personally, I also have LinkedIn and it's just, again, my name's Benna Weezer on there as well. I've got to be honest, in the year that we've had, as, as 2020 draws to a close, mm -hmm. it's been a very difficult year. Mm -hmm. And it's been a year of quite difficult at times to feel a sense of optimism for the future, whether yeah. it be a pandemic, whether it be climate change, which is becoming mm -hmm. more and more of a pressing problem. And, you know, I had the great pleasure of being involved with the Connecticut Climate Action Summit. Mm -hmm. I've got to say, just listening to you and talking to you for, for 30 minutes or so, I feel more enthused than I have for years. So uh, I think the future is in very good hands. If there's lots of you running around, we're going to be all right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time.